Hi there. Welcome to Explode View. I'm Craig Mackowitz. One of the largest glass ceilings has just been blown wide open with the election of Kamala Harris as Vice President of the United States. As Kamala said in her speech, this comes 100 years after the 19th Amendment to the Constitution that states that women shall not be denied the right to vote. It is also 56 years after the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, outlawing discrimination on the basis of race, religion, sex, or national origin in the right to vote. These are massive steps in the right direction, regardless of your political view, and the recent election is no different. So it's important that we take stock and celebrate these victories towards a world based in equality. So today on Explode View, we're going to be exploring the topic of diversity within our own industry with the co-founders of Women in Industrial Design Chicago Chapter, Mallory Evans and Michaela Barber. Mallory and Michaela bring a unique perspective on the topic as co-founders of Women in Industrial Design Chicago Chapter and also as the next generation of successful designers working in our industry. So the question we will explore today is how might we empower the next generation of women designers in our field? We'll chat with Mallory and Michaela about the great work that Women in Industrial Design, aka WID, W-I-I-D, is doing, and how they're helping the ID field. They'll provide some actionable advice for women on everything from searching for your first job to what can you do if you find yourself in an uncomfortable work situation. I think this episode is an important listen regardless of your gender or level of seniority. To that end, we'll also chat about how men can help empower women in the workplace. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Mallory Evans and Michaela Barber, it's a pleasure to have you both on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have both of you. You know, this is an important topic that I think is, is something that's really interesting right now because one of the largest glass ceilings in the country was just blown wide open with a new VP in office. Heck and yeah. uh, Kamala Harris. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just curious how you guys feel about that. How do you even put it into words? So many emotions. I, I remember, I mean, it would just happen. But when I heard the news, like tears in my eyes, excited, just can't even believe it's actually happening. Yeah. I'm so excited for a woman to be in the White House that, you know, she... She is a wife, but she's not there being a first lady. No, she's the VP and you can address her like that. And that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. It's a very exciting day. Yeah. Okay. So I want to just learn, first of all, about a little bit about both of you. So Mallory, we'll start with you. How, how did you discover design? Because you're an industrial designer. How did you, you discover design? How did you get into it? Yeah. Um, so I actually, it, it was a little bit of a journey. Um, I actually just went to college to, to be a pharmacist. Um, and then once I took some of the prereqs, they were like, look, you can't, we're not going to let you do that. And so I had to go and take it. Oh. <laughs> my math scores were really bad. And um, I took a career aptitude test. And um, first it said, I believe, tree trimmer, um, which was, was not going to work. And then it said, <laughs> yeah, apparently, you know, everything about me just really screams tree trimmer. Uh, but secondly, I was told to be a forest ranger. So that's, <laughs> that was on my list. That was number four. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. For, so maybe there's something in common. I would love to know if other industrial designers have gotten forest ranger as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, number two was industrial designer. Um, and my roommate at the time was 
um, studying industrial design and it seemed like a great opportunity. It was a great way of meshing art with the more realistic and, and strategy side of things. Um, and so, yeah, I went for it and uh, didn't make it my first year, but, you know, buckled down the second year and uh, made it through. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thanks. And um, you just opened my eyes to something too, because when I was going to school in high school, there wasn't a code for industrial design in the um, in the search tabs so that you could you could actually find industrial design it wasn't even an option to pop up so it's exciting to hear that that's now an option that students can find when they're looking for yeah. their new career path so very cool so M- Michaela how about you uh weirdly enough I also found industrial design through a career <laughs> test Mal is the only other person I've ever met that found it the same way actually hmm. um but when I was in high school I did you get forest ranger <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that being on there. I really don't remember oh, okay. honestly what the other results were besides industrial designer. Cause as soon as I saw that I was sold, I was like, yep, yeah. this is it. At the time when I was in high school, I was taking a ceramics class and a physics class. And those were my two favorite classes pretty much that I'd ever taken. They would just like made sense to me. And I was like, I need to find a way to fuse these two things together somehow. And I took the career test and read the description of what industrial design was. And I, I was sold. I was like, if you could have described me in a career path description, this would have been it. So. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really cool. That's yeah. a great way to find it too. I'm so yeah, thrilled to hear that it's part of the career test now. Yeah. No one knew what it was even like when I told my parents that that's what I thought I wanted to do. I still don't think they really know what I do to be <laughs> honest, but especially then when I told them they were like, okay, I guess this <laughs> works. Like, Right. But yeah, it was awesome. Exciting. So you both went to a WID event. So WID is Women in Industrial Design, and you're both you co-founders of the Chicago branch of, of WID. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And yeah, could you so- give us a, yeah, give us a little bit of background on WID, how you got started and how you discovered it in the first place? So the WID chapter in Chicago that we co-founded um, is actually its own thing. A lot of people get a little bit confused because IDSA has a women in design chapter as well. Um, We're actually not a part of IDSA's women in design chapter. We started our own thing to be focused a little more on Chicago and on the Midwest. Um, Mm -hmm. But the reason we decided to start it was because of IDSA's women in design conference back in 2018 that happened here in Chicago we went to that conference together and we're just so inspired by everything that we heard and saw at that conference. And we really didn't want the momentum that conferences often generate to just kind of falter after everybody left. We really wanted to try and keep that up somehow. Um, And that's really what inspired us to start something here in Chicago. It's uh, not a super super complex way to start anything. We just uh, <laughs> set a time and a place for a meetup and, and people showed up. And from then it's just continued to grow. Oh, that's great. And and what, what would you say is the goal in the name? It kind of says it, but I'm curious what you both feel is the, the goal and Mallory, we can, we can start with you, but what do you think is the goal of WID? Um, for me, it's just to create a support system 
for any person that identifies as a female. Um, we really just want to be a support system and create conversation and be like a home base for anyone that has questions. So if you need support, how can we help you? And if you have a question that maybe you identify as a male and you have a question on how to support your female industrial designers, you know, we can help with that too. So I think just being kind of a place to help support women in the field. What do you think, Michaela? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with what Mal said too, but really just trying to create a community of people that want to support and empower women and female identifying people in industrial design and at any stage of their career. So whether you're a student looking to get into an industrial design school, um, maybe you're a young professional, maybe you're even well into your career and trying to figure out what the next step is. Basically, anybody who wants to be part of the community and help empower women and try and close that gender gap in our industry, that's what we want to support. Gotcha. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, the, the gender gap and, and what are you know, some of the things that women are facing in the industry right now and how that's changed over time. And, and you guys have some, some stats on that and some information there that, that we'll get to in a bit. I, I'm wondering what, what has the community reached out to you about specifically? So what have you seen so far since initiating the chapter in Chicago? What, what's the type of stuff that you see people asking about? So I think there's a couple of things that people reach out to us a lot about. Um, a lot of, I think, young professionals and younger women in the industry reach out as just a way to know somebody else in a similar <laughs> position. Because I know a lot of places, they might be the only woman or one of the only women working at a specific company or a specific place. Um, and so a lot of people reach out just as a to get a sense of community and, and to find other people in a similar position. And I know a lot of men have reached out to us as well, asking how they can help, how they can be better allies to their female coworkers. I would say those are probably the two biggest things that we, we hear about most often. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. I want to jump into the history too behind WID. So you said it's a chapter, a local chapter. Can you give a little bit of background um, into WID itself and, and where it got started? So you said you started WID from the industrial design organization. So you're a separate group. Um, are there other WID branches uh, or chapters around the world? Or is it starting kind of with, with uh, the two of you in, in Chicago? So as far as our specific organization, it's just our chapter here in Chicago. Uh, we do have a team that is international, actually, that helps us out with um, everything that we do. Uh, when, before COVID, uh, when we were actually having <laughs> events, all of those were focused on Chicago. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, now that everything has gone virtual, we've really been able to expand our reach. Um, so we started in Chicago. But our, our membership is kind of everywhere at this point. But this is kind of our, our home base still. Um, there are other smaller uh, women in design chapters that have popped up kind of simultaneously to ours in schools and just other communities. Um, and we 
try and connect with those as much as possible because we want to form as big of a network as possible um, for this, this tiny community that we have. But as far as our organization itself, we really want to focus on Chicago and the Midwest at this point because we see a big difference between the environment in, say, San Francisco versus Chicago versus New York. All of those are such different, such different environments for people who are working and people who are working in industrial design regionally. So we like the idea of focusing our efforts, kind of the community that we know best and the community we're really actively a part of right now. Right. That's exciting. So, so just for my clarity, does IDSA have a separate women in industrial design group as well? Yeah, they have. Or is it, was it just that event? Um, they have a deep dive section that is part of their membership, which is, it's, it's kind of like a special interest group that meets and they do um, different events and different um, conferences geared towards that. And so they have um, that conference that they he- they hold yearly in different cities across America. Gotcha. Okay. That helps me uh, clarify. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. They've actually had that special interest section for a long time. I think since like the 1990s, maybe. Yeah. It's maybe been even a while. before that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and maybe the stat um, stats that I got from, I think it's from the IDSA are pretty interesting because it goes back into the history of women in industrial design, but just um, by about 10 years and you probably have better, more up-to-date information. So I'll give you what the stats are that I have from IDSA conferences back about 10 years ago. And um, they were estimating that only 100 out of the 550 registered attendees are women. And then when they zoomed out at the industry as a whole, there's an estimate that it's about 10 to 15% of women in the industry, which, which I was shocked, but I also remembered and recalled my education. I graduated in 2008. I remember in my industrial design program, there were only a, a few women, um, my wife included. And it was, it was very shocking. And then 10 years later, while I was teaching at CCS, that had changed drastically. So it, there was roughly a 50, 50 split in my class and in, in the two classes that I had, but I'm wondering, you know, we're looking at old data. What is the newer data in terms of how many women are industrial designers now? And then do you have any more statistical information that is as relevant? Yeah, so the stats are kind of interesting because it's actually really hard to find data on the percentages of women in industrial design. You can find, it's a little bit easier to find women in overall design but that tends to be a lot of graphic and interior design and um, other things like that incorporated as well. It's, it's kind of difficult to find just strict industrial design data. Mm. Um, there are some people in the community really trying to change that. But as far as we know, it, it's really interesting because you're right. In school, it is about a 50-50 split as far as we can tell. But once you get into the professional world, there's a huge drop off. I think the most recent number that we know about is only like 19% of professional industrial designers are women. And that number just continuously goes down as you get higher up the ladder. So from junior Mm -hmm. designer to senior to design lead and so on. So yeah, even from school just to 
who's working as a professional industrial designer, you drop off like 30% of people or of women. Wow. So either of you have any sense of why you think there is that, that drop off that occurs out of school, especially your perspective, because you're both relatively fresh out of school. So it's great to see that perspective. And what was your experience in school? And then after school, you know, that 50, 50 split, knowing your classmates and where they ended up. I mean, what's your perspective on it? Yeah. Um, my personal take on the situation is that I think, especially when you're getting your first ID job, um, you're really hired for a couple of reasons. And I think what we see most is, you know, can you render, can you do CAD and can you sketch? And I think, you know, we, we both attended a speech from Betsy Barnhart and she illustrated it so beautifully that when you look at how children are brought up, boys are like, yeah, draw cars, play video games, you know, you're introduced to tech and it, and it's okay where girls are like, Hey, you know, stay inside, play with these toy, toy kitchens. And yes, we're making, you know, we're making, um, leeway in this now, but you know, for the sake of conversation, how it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. And what that did was start a very slow race. And what happened is when you got to ID school, um, now you have guys who have been on computers who have been, they're very comfortable with it, right? They've been playing video games. They're already very comfortable with computer graphics, with the idea of CAD, complex thinking and doing um, and sketching, right? Because they've all been sketching cars for who knows how long and they all love it. Um, (laughs) Where, you know, that might not necessarily be the story for women when they were younger. And so she, she created this really amazing analogy that it's, it's not that we're, you know, we're all in the same race. We're just starting a little bit later. And so we just, you know, Mm. we take a couple more years to get there, not because we're not capable, but you know, we're just getting introduced to this a little bit later. So when they're comfortable, we're getting introduced as freshmen in college and we have to start sketching. We have to start doing CAD and computer renders and, when they're already fine tuning their skills, we're just learning the programs and getting comfortable with these kinds of activities or whatever it is. And I really wish I could paraphrase all this a lot better because she does an immaculate job. Um, And so, you know, from that you have employers hiring, you know, on these three base skills and because, you know, women, she had amazing statistics that, you know, women do see themselves as, you know, they're more, timid in their sketching, you know, they're more timid in their CAD skills, things like that. And so they're not getting the jobs. Not again, not because they don't, they're not capable, but because they started later. So therefore they might not be at the same place as their male counterparts. Right. And then when you are, you know, when you are the only female or you are one of three females in a class, you don't necessarily feel the same confidence to sketch out in the open to ask people how do you, you know how do you do that show me like it, it there isn't necessarily the same there's there's not the same maybe feeling that you you feel so open as to um look and search for help for it because you know you are you're looking into a working class of all men and so you know it it is it's a little intimidating and so i think you see that fallout because women are like oh wait you know but i can't do graphic design and look at all the women over here in marketing and so Hmm. you know when you go into those workplaces like you want to work with people that look like you and 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 
that you can bond with, right? Like nobody wants to go into an office that they're like, oh no, you know, as much as right. we've all worked yeah. in male dominated offices and they've, they've been great experiences. There's always the initial step in the door where you're like, Oh crap. <laughs> I did not look up the football stats from this past weekend. Or like, I didn't watch game of Thrones and I have nothing to talk about now. You know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's a, that's a interesting perspective. And, um, being on the other side of that too, it's not something I even recognize in school. So what would you say to, you know, the, the guys that are in these classes, you know, that might not be recognizing just like, I didn't really, I mean, I recognize that there weren't that many women in the the classes, but you know, what do you do in those situations? Um, both, uh, from both perspectives. So what did, either of you do? And then what does a a guy who's in that classroom do? What would be your recommendations? Personally, I was very lucky that I was friends with Johnny and Big Dog in our class. Uh, They were two two amazing people in CAD. Um, And, you know, they really helped me to you know, solve, like solve those problems and like help me through renderings, things like that. And I just asked, um, you know, like they're nice people. They're not going to like say like, no one's going to say no, like people want to help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, whatever, yeah. like your inner voice or whatever is saying you like, Oh, don't ask, go, no, shut it up. Go ask, go ask for help. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, same, I mean, same to guys, if you see someone struggling, offer your help. If you know, tips and knowledge, you know, if you have a great tip on sketching on how to check perspective or how to get a more energetic sketch, um, go ahead and share those tips. You know, uh, we, we grow together, you know, stronger. So just share the tips and ask for help when you need it. Right. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a great, great point. I think that's a good point for anybody too, regardless of how you identify. If, if you're in a class with someone who is struggling, can, can help them out. It's all just a a community of people. Um, And the other thing I think too, is if you already feel like you're different than everybody else, if someone calls out the fact that you're different, that can oftentimes make you more self-conscious of the fact Mm -hmm. that you're different. Mm -hmm. So Mm. I think, you know, I, I don't think anybody necessarily wants to be treated differently just because they're a woman in a a class of mostly men. I think they just Mm want to be successful like anybody else and they want to make friends and, you know, just treating them like you would treat any of your other peers. And I don't know, just helping people along the way. I think also something that we're seeing kind of, I don't want to say a trend because it was always there, but maybe people are talking about it more right now is research. And it's funny because, yeah, I I don't have stats on this, but I did notice that a lot of the really good design, not good, (laughs) the more well-known design researchers or the people um, in our class that were really good at it were women. And typically it was actually the guys that seemed to lack in that area. And it was, it was, it was interesting because, you know, we did see the, the top sketchers in our class that were male. And then we saw the top researchers being women. I think actually... Yeah, honestly, probably the top five researchers were women. And so, you know, Mm. knowing that, I think as much as you want to work on your skills, right, make sure that you're dedicated to the craft and sketch and CAD and all of this. But also, you know, when it comes to getting that interview, I think women should play up their strengths. 
do not be scared to walk in there and sit down and be like, yeah, I can research with the best of them. Like, let's talk about it. You know, put your strengths out there, yeah. show what you can really do. Um, and don't be shy about it. I think uh, women have a hard time of talking up themselves. I know I personally do. I'll find myself knocking myself down with my own feet, but you have to go in there and and talk about yourself because you are, you're great. Like you are good at what you're doing. And um, just starting to build up that confidence within yourself and say like, yes, I can research and here's my sketches and make sure they're communicating the ideas well. And while you might not be the strongest in every single skill set, consistency is king. And how can you make yourself stand out and look like the best candidate and play to your strengths to show that to, you know, a potential employer? Yeah, that, that's great advice. And one that I think we should all take to heart because it's very difficult to to talk about yourself and, and and sometimes even asking other students that are around you to what what do you see as my strengths to could open that door Mm -hmm. and maybe introduce things that either you didn't realize or maybe you realized, but you didn't feel comfortable saying. And that's how I felt too, is that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where can somebody else kind of open that door and maybe uh, give you more confidence in those topics that you feel like you're good in, but you might not be willing to say out loud. Oh yeah. We should all be speaking into each other. I love that. Everybody speak confidence (laughs) into each other. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, very much so. So you actually gave a good transition because I want to start talking about, you know, getting into employment and some of the obstacles that are faced by women in 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 the employment situation. And when you were talking about getting hired in and, and that interaction with somebody who's interviewing you, do you have any tips or is there anything that's brought up kind of around that topic alone is that that whole aspect around interviewing and and finding that first job. Do you want the tips that were given to me or the tips that I would give to women? Because <laughs> they're very different. <laughs> do, do you want the funny tips first that were actually given to me? Yeah, I'd be curious. What, yeah. are, what are the funny tips? What um, did people tell I've you definitely do? had people tell me, you know, don't wear a lot of makeup, tie your hair back, wear a pantsuit, don't wear anything too feminine, you know? And, and I was like, okay, but what oh, about wow. my work? <laughs> you, you <know? laughs> this is all great. Yeah. Uh, this is all great opinion on my appearance, but like, can you tell me what I should do to elevate my work? And they were like, Oh wow. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. I'm like, okay. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah I'd- so people were telling you what you should be looking like, not what you should talk about and how you should respond and those types of things, mm-hmm. the constructive yeah, advice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's get to the good stuff, the actual <laughs> constructive <laughs> the stuff that will help you. Well, I think, you know, landing your first job for anybody coming out of school is difficult, but I think, you know, Mal brought up a great point of understanding what your strengths are and being able to talk about them and being able to present them in a a nice concise way in a portfolio as well. Um, And also potentially like just to land the first job, if you look for places that are going to play to your strengths, obviously you want to be able to improve your weaker areas as well. But honestly, finding your first job is is tough enough as it is. So 
right. if you if you can find a place that it fits really well with what you know you're good at and just getting your foot in the door somewhere. To be honest, when I started my job, my I mean my job title right now is technically industrial designer and design strategist. So coming out of school, I, I'm a perfect example of what Mal was talking about earlier. Coming out of school, like research was really my strength. Um, and that's what I showed a lot of in my portfolio. So when I got hired at my job, that's kind of what they hired me to do is to be more heavy on the research strategy side. Um, and now that I've been there coming up on two and a half, three years, I've actually had the opportunity to transition into more of an industrial design role. Um, and I, I actually like lead those projects now, but it took Hmm. me getting myself in there and, and a year and probably a year and a half of me just working my butt off and improving those skills and proving to people that I could do it to get those projects and be put in that better position. So it's, it's kind of a tricky thing. Cause you, I think coming out of school, you're like, if, if I'm not working at Nike or, you know, whatever the, the dream company is at the time, then you didn't make it. But to be honest, like just just get the first job, get your foot in the door somewhere that's gonna help you improve and and give you those opportunities to improve. At least in my case, it's been extremely beneficial because you learn a whole lot more in just your first couple years working, just about how to work in the real world and and be a professional industrial designer. Yeah, that's great advice, Michaela, because I think that's one of the things that is a misconception when you're coming out of school, just like you said, that, you know, you want that dream job right off the bat. But especially in in the economic climate that we're in now, (laughs) it's really important Mm -hmm. to get your foot in the door. I mean, it's 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 more critical than kind of anything at that point, because once you get experience under your belt, you can make changes, Mm -hmm. but it's important to do that first step and set your expectations at just like you said, you know, learning, you know, getting your experience of working in a, you know, a, a real job climate, you know, what is the industrial design process at a design firm or a large corporation? So getting those things under your belt for a couple of years before thinking about those kind of glamorous jobs, quote unquote, um, that you envisioned when you were leaving school, I think that's really great advice and, and something we should all be thinking about when you're leaving school. So, so yeah, good point. I think there are so many hidden gems that all these firms and corporations that people don't know about. And, you know, we, we, I think, you know, especially coming out of school, you gravitate towards these larger names and like these larger well-known designers. Um, but man, I have met some people that their work is just insane. Like they have done so well for themselves. They are amazing designers um, their process, the way they think is so beautiful. Um, but if you were to walk into a room and say, you know, their name, most people probably haven't heard of them. Um, and so, yeah, like, don't feed into the frenzy. The hype isn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. And then what, what about the obstacles that are faced once you get into those positions? So uh, you're both getting questions that are interesting questions that people have when they're in their jobs, in their you know professional career, when they first start out. What are the obstacles that that you faced as women in the field in particular? So, 
Have you faced anything in the couple of years that you've entered into your careers? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but are, you, are either you willing to share some stories? Yeah. So we actually gave a talk at IDC about um, kind of the one of the larger topics, which is microaggressions, um, which if, if people don't know what that is, it's just the these kind of like one-off comments or, or slight comments that people make towards a minority group. Um, and so to women, um, so some, some of the microaggressions, I guess that I've heard would be if you're, if you're around all men and you wear a dress to the office, it's, it's like, they're all very stuck on the fact that you're wearing a dress, which then points out that I'm different. Right. Um, but I've Mm. also had clients very blatantly in meetings, tell me things like, well, you're pretty young. How would you know that? Or well, are you just hmm. going to bedazzle it and cover it in diamonds? And I was, it, it was a piece of technology. So oh, I'm wow. not sure who would do that. Um, <laughs> I was like, that seems like really expensive manufacturing wise, but you know, that's a good you, response. I like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if that's where you want to take the brief, by all means, take it. Um, yeah. As well as just, I mean, there's, Unfortunately, there's been comments made about like, well, it was her time of the month or, um, yeah, you know, things like that, that really do, um, man, they get, they get under your skin. They do. And, and you, in the beginning, you're, you're good at brushing them off, right? Hey, whatever, you know, that he didn't understand or he didn't know. Um, but you know, one by one, they really do just start to tear you down. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think there's just kind of a dynamic of having to prove yourself a little Mm bit um this is also like Mm. i'm just kind of a competitive person (laughs) that feels the need to prove to prove myself to everyone anyway so this could just be a personality type thing a little bit too but yeah i mean i'm lucky to work with some some really great guys and some great clients that luckily tend to trust me um, but I do mm. know quite a few people that, you know, it, it takes a little bit longer for a client to really put their trust in them that they're going to be able to execute the project the way they think it should be executed. Uh, when, you know, it probably wouldn't be the same way or it might not be the same way, uh, if the situation was different. Yeah. And, and you both listed out some of these microaggressions that you recognize and have to deal with in the workplace. And I think it's, it's really interesting because for a lot of guys who are out there, they, they might not recognize some are actually actively engaged in this and they're the ones saying it. And there's others who don't really pay attention to it. And I think that's also, it's not a good thing. So I wonder how you both, overcome those obstacles because I think that's important to understand that side of it. And then I want to hear the other side of it too, of what what guys can do to kind of help these situations. Because you said you've had this question fielded to you a couple times. So so I want to get into that. But I want to first understand from your perspective and the advice that you both have for um, women who are experiencing those things in the workplace and might be maybe one one of the only women in their work environment. What what advice would you have for them? Yeah. So one thing, um, Mal had talked about how we 
discussed this topic for IDC last year. Um, and one of the things that I think is important for us to make clear to people is that it's not necessarily the, the woman or the minority group or the person who has microaggressions coming at them. It's not necessarily that person's job to fix the problem because they already have so much, you know, that's coming at them in order to deal with this. Um, it's really something that we like to challenge to upper management and people in ownership positions to, you know, it's a big culture shift. Um, if these things are happening to people on a regular basis, then it's a lot of times a culture within the company that is enabling something like that to continuously happen. Um, so mm -hmm. to actually get at the root of the problem, that's kind of where the change has to start is with people who create the culture, the people who are in those management roles. I mean, we always encourage people if something happens and or someone makes a comment that makes you uncomfortable, if if you are comfortable talking to that person and kind of pulling them aside maybe and explaining to them why that comment made you uncomfortable or was inappropriate, that's always something we would encourage you to do if, if you feel compelled to do that. But again, it's not something that should necessarily be the victim of the microaggressions responsibility to handle. And I, I don't know if, uh, you know, the economic climate isn't great right now, but if, if you're put in a situation where those things continuously happen and there's no way to avoid them, sometimes the best thing to do is just remove yourself from the situation completely and, and find a place that's going to value you and, and respect respect who you are as a, as a person and an employee personally, that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting and, and a great point. I think no, nobody deserves to be in a situation that, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable with, especially on a daily basis. Even one time is not okay, but uh, experiencing on, on a daily basis is, is a, is a big issue and management to take that very seriously if if they want to maintain and keep top talent and and hold a valuable valued workplace environment, so yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, Mallory. What what do you think on the topic? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. If I feel comfortable around the person, I definitely try to just pull them aside and be like, hey, you know, that was a cool or, you know, you, when you say something like that, it does make me feel, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, when it's more of a professional situation, I don't know. Well, I don't want to say professional, but maybe a situation where I don't necessarily feel comfortable pulling them aside. Um, something I started implementing and I actually tell, you know, men, if they want to do this, it's a very easy way to not so much if you don't feel comfortable, maybe speaking up about it. So let's say that I have a client say, and this actually happened. Okay. But are you, are you just going to make it pink? In which case hmm. I would just respond, well, why would you think I would do that? And so at that hmm. moment, you're kind of like making them confront their own ideals about what they're thinking about you. And, you know, maybe, maybe they themselves aren't going to actually verbally say what they were thinking. Like, oh, well, you're a female designer. So of course, shrink it and pink it. But may maybe 
they're going to say, Oh, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) insert phrase that they say here. I don't know. But what it does do is it makes them in their head have a moment where they're realizing their, their bias there. They're realizing like, Oh wait, yeah. Why am I saying that? It's putting the question on the person saying it. Um, as well as when people make, you know, jokes that aren't funny, a great line is to say, Oh, I don't get it. Why is that funny? You know, it Mm. it has these moments where you then are, you're not, you know, you're not, if you don't feel comfortable, it's a great way to have the person who is (laughs) saying it, you know, have them reflect on themselves. It really brings them back to themselves to make them think, oh, wait, is this isn't funny? Or, oh, wait, was that not okay to say? And it it creates a point of tension within themselves that they can grow, hopefully, and reflect on that and be like, okay, you know what? That wasn't cool. Or, you know, I was questioned, so we're not going to say that again. Yeah, that's a really good point and something I'd never thought about before. That's uh, I, I really do like that because you're right. It makes them reflect in the moment. Hopefully they reflect in the moment, Yeah. Um, if not down the road. But it, it does allow that question to do some of the heavy lifting in that conversation mm-hmm. instead of having to confront it, or kind of reframing it and uh, and putting it back on them. So that that's really an interesting way to handle that. I like that. Yeah, I don't think you get anywhere when we... You know, I think these conversations do need to be done in a very like delicate and gender way because ultimately we all want change. Um, and, you know, that comes from within. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I do think there's a lot of individuals out there, a lot of men out there that don't necessarily realize that this is a thing. Either they thought it was back in the day and that it no longer exists. Or when they say something, they don't realize that what they're saying actually mm-hmm. is sexist or is making somebody feel uncomfortable. So having that, you know, that, that moment where you're calling them out during that conversation, I think is interesting. I I read something recently about the boots and the sandals analogy from Kayla Reed, who's an executive director at Action St. Louis. And she's, it's a racial justice organization. And she says, uh, and I'll quote it because I think it's really interesting. Imagine your privilege is a heavy boot that keeps you from feeling when you're stepping on someone's feet or they're stepping on yours. If someone says, ouch, you're stepping on my toes, how do you react? So it's, it's the person would immediately react. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, cause you're stepping on somebody's toes, but you, some people are not actually seeing what's happening or recognizing it in the moment. And so I think by calling it out, it's bringing attention to it and making them realize what's happening. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I really like that analogy. Yeah. I'm actually writing it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The boots and sandals analogy. Wow. I think it's really important too, because in that analogy, um, what so often is said to the person that says, ouch, you're stepping on my foot. Um, the person who stepped on it very confident will say, I did not step on your foot. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is a problem because you did. If someone says you did, (laughs) you did. (laughs) Um, and so it doesn't really matter what you think you stepped on, um, because you did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it goes back to like, you don't get to decide how I feel about the thing that you did. (laughs) (laughs) If I feel uncomfortable, then you made me uncomfortable. Like there's not really an argument about it. Right. Exactly. And I, I think that's, that's tough. And in that statement that you made about, you know, why do you think I would make it pink? I think it's, it's a way to call that out 
in a very clear and concise way very quickly and hopefully make somebody reflect and think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, from, from that perspective, you know, is there anything else that you think is, is worthwhile that we should talk about from overcoming obstacles for women who are industrial designers and, and, you know, just starting out in their careers specifically, is there anything that you think is worthwhile about that we should discuss or talk about? I think one thing that's important to recognize is that it is really important to get women in industrial design programs in schools and help get their careers started. But I think we also have to remember that there are women who are further along in their careers that get forgotten about a little bit once you get to a certain point. Um, because, you know, even just from school to professional industrial designers, the percentage of women drops off so much. And as you continue to go up the ladder, it just continuously drops off more and more. The, this is a crazy statistic, but I always call it out because it is so eye-opening. But 1% of creative agencies are founded by women. Hmm. The amount of women, wow. it, it is getting a lot better as far as percentages of women in creative director roles. I think a few years ago, it was 3%. And then we had seen 11% about two years ago. And I was just doing some research tonight that I think it's up to like 29% of creative directors are women. So like that stat is getting better. But even still, that's not necessarily industrial design specific. And if we really want to, you know, be the intersectional feminists we are, how many of those are white women? Mm -hmm. I think that is a really important thing is that we're not fighting. It, it's not just white women, guys. Like we really got to fight for um, women of color to get in there. Cause I think it's like 5% of industrial designers are people of color, both men and women. So when you start looking at that percentage and picking out the women, ooh, yo, mm -hmm. we got a problem. Like we have a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is uh, eye opening. Yeah, and there are some organizations, luckily, that are doing some research on this. One of them is the three percent movement, is what it's called. Um, and like, there are some tangible reasons that this drops off too that we can actually affect change with, which is something that WID tries to do too. But I think the more people that are aware of some of these reasons, it's important. Um, but some of those things are like a lack of mentorship and specifically mentorship from people who look like you. So I think, I mean, mm -hmm. Kamala Harris is a perfect example that literally just happened. But like, if you can't see someone in the position that you want, you have a less likely chance of thinking that you can get there yourself. So the fact that you don't see like your boss isn't a woman, the owner of your company isn't a woman, your manager isn't a woman you know, it makes it a lot harder to think that you can get to that position. Right. And I think um, a lot of the times too, we're not necessarily valuing women at, at what they're worth. So I'm, I'm sure everybody's aware of the gender pay gap that exists. But I think a lot of times we forget that women are a crazy high percentage of buying power. And so not having people on your design team that are representative of the communities who may actually be purchasing the product, you know, it not only creates better products and you have a, a more diverse team, you also 
you know, it just makes everything better. Um, but a lot of times we forget that. And so there aren't as, as many people that are representative of our end users actually designing the products. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. And, and to, ju- to have women be a part of the workplace, but you're absolutely right. There's actually a financial benefit and a business benefit to it oh, as yeah. well. So it, it's, it's on all fronts that it's important that, that we make those adjustments in the industrial design community, you know, understanding kind of where the community's at now. One of the questions that I always love to ask whoever I interview at the, at the end is, you know, where do you see the future of uh, the topic we're discussing? And, and I'm really wondering where you see the future of WID, but also women in design, you know, as a whole. So you're coming at it from a different perspective. Um, what's your perspective on kind of where you see women in industrial design in the future? One of our goals when we started with was that at some point, no one will need us anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. To be honest, like, yeah, I mean, our dream would be that we don't necessarily need to have this community specifically for women in industrial design, because we're so represented in the community that we're just integrated into it. Um, and we're just supported by it. But <laughs> as far as our organization itself, I mean, we talk a lot about how we want to grow for the future. And I think we really just, I mean, COVID has thrown kind of a loop into everything, but we just want to continue to grow the community in ways that are going to support it. So, I mean, we recently launched um, a, a big resources page on our website because we're trying to expand that area of our network and, and help people get the learning and the resources that they're looking for. Um, in addition to building that community and kind of figuring out how we build that on a bigger scale as well. I think we'll always be focused on Chicago, but there are so many people all over the country and all over the world that I think could benefit from this type of a community as well. Yeah, your the resources section on the website is is really great. I was looking at it and poking around last week, just reading up on some of the resources you have on there. So I appreciate you guys pulling that out together and creating kind of a database that uh, you know there's a lot of great information on there and a, a good place to dive in and, and learn more about the topic. So I appreciate you putting that together. Yeah, I'm glad somebody Definitely. found some value out of it. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Mallory, how about you? Where do you see the future of uh, women in industrial design? Man, I know what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, um, man, I just want to see, I mean, I really actually just want to see pretty much the exact opposite of what's happening right now. Um, I want to see all of the big firms opened up by women. Um, I want to see the top thought leaders being women. I want to see you know, this new CDO of Apple to be a woman. I want to see the same for Google, you know, actually, well, that's already <laughs> done. Um, <laughs> but I should <laughs> check. check um, <laughs> wow, your, your dreams are coming true real quick. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm speaking it into existence. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I want to see the new majority to be female. That's what I want to see personally. And I, I, I just want to see women popping up with firms and feeling like they have um, the equity. And I want to see firms that are so diverse that when you walk in, everyone looks completely different from each other. And the same when you walk into these corporations, 
Um, and I mean that from not only, you know, physically how someone looks, but also from their backgrounds. Because I think we're getting into a day and age where do we need to go to these expensive schools? You know, do we like what what are the advantages here? What are the backgrounds of the people that we're recruiting? Because as we know, design is a lived life. And if we're all coming from the same lived life and we all look the same, won't all of our designs end up the same? So how diverse are we making our teams and really stretching that word diversity in like all directions from how they look, their schooling, class, all of it. And just having this really amazing pool of people be in these companies and in these design firms. Yeah, that's that's a great vision. I think it's a lot, it's a lot of value there um, to <laughs> both the so. people that are... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to the people who are, you know, are, are going to be entering into design and I think a good vision for, you know, the, the young people who are maybe getting forest ranger as what their <laughs> options are <laughs> and industrial design is maybe a secondary option. They can right. look and say, Hey, this is kind of a, this could be an interesting pathway for me. Totally. Um, do you have any, any words of advice for maybe the, a young woman who might be getting into design or want to get into design, what would be your advice to them? All the tears are worth it. Oh, man. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of work, but I promise it'll be worth it in the end. It's the coolest job ever. That's awesome. Great. Wow. <laughs> wow. Honestly, um, do it scared. That's great advice. Yeah. Oh, man, just do it scared because mm. otherwise it won't get done. And it never gets yeah. less scary anyway. Ugh, so. No, man, that is the biggest lie. It never gets less scary. <laughs> yeah, it's just more pressure, bigger projects. You <laughs> right, <know? laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You get more right. comfortable with the scary, but it doesn't go away. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's a good true, point. that's true. Any events coming up that are digital that people can maybe sign into or uh, join online? We're taking a small hiatus for the holidays. We'll Smart. be back in 2021. <laughs> so keep an eye out on the website. What's the website? Women ID Chai, C-H-I for Chicago.com. This has been a great conversation, Mallory Michaela. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your advice today. It's been both eye-opening and inspirational. I think people get a lot out of this conversation. So thank you both for sharing your stories. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us and thanks for all your super thoughtful questions. We appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed the chat today. Again, if you'd like to learn more or get involved with the WID Chicago chapter, you can visit womenidchi.com or you can jump on Instagram at Explodivy Podcast to learn more and get involved. Finally, a big shout out to Leah Stewart, a very talented industrial design leader for connecting me with the WID team in Chicago. See you next time on Explodive View.